exactly what this conference was about. And yet it was exuding, it was impacted with political speech, political language, political ideologies. And yet every single bit of it taken right back to the scriptures and drawn right out of the heart and mind of God. And you may not realize it, but we have lost people here at faith because I am too political. And as I've, I, as I have said before, and now again, there's this new boldness and fire because you know what? When you start getting it and taking it in the neck over and over again, you do start questioning yourself. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I'm a fleshly individual. And by golly, my flesh can exude itself even on a Sunday morning. I'm keenly aware of all that. And so you start going, boy, you know what? There's, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's anybody else out there doing this and saying this. And so maybe you do it. Maybe you just got to come in here and pull up a bouquet of daisies every Sunday and talk about smiles and unicorns and rainbows. The whole theme of this conference was preaching the Word of God in its entirety. I love that. Thank you for the come on. The reason I say that was we're in this big, you know, it was, it was like packed, maybe 180 people there, which this is in New Hampshire, okay? And one of the keynote speakers was a former congressman of New Hampshire who looked like, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but he looked like a TV preacher, and he was so dynamic and knew the word so well, and yet here he was, a career politician, and integrating and and infiltrating his political ideologies and motives with the word of God. And I was like, wow. And from New Hampshire, no less. See, there is hope. (laughs) Wasn't anybody like that from Maine there, but New Hampshire's getting close. Oh, what I started to say was, so at a table over, there was somebody who this whole thing, man, preachers would get wound up. And I mean, they were getting wound up. And this one guy just kept, come on. Every time somebody would say something, come on. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. You know what? I tell you, one day before I die, I'm going to preach in an African-American church, so I can preach to some people who are feeling it, who are alive, and who give you feedback right away. (laughs) We white folk, you know, we sit there going, I am excited. (laughs) Preach it, Reverend. Amen. Anyway, okay, focus. We are in Judges chapter 12, actually beginning 13. This is all going to be introduction to 13. This is parts one and two today of what really is three parts, but as usual, I'm not going to get to the third part. I'm pretty confident of that, especially if I don't shut up and get down to the text. We sang the chorus of a song just a moment ago, when the stars burn down and the earth wears out. Of course, referring to what? To Revelation and the end of it all. And we stand before the throne with the witnesses who have gone before. We will rise and all applaud, singing blessing 
and honor and glory and power forever to our God. Now, those are nice words, but will we? Will we what? One, will we be standing before the Lord? It's a personal question. Will we be rising in applaud to the Lord? Will we be, in fact, singing blessing and honor and glory and power forever to our God? I'm going to start in the Old Testament this morning by way of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He's talking to most of us. He's talking to his people who have bowed their knee, not just to the Savior of the world, but to the Lord of the world. That means the one who calls the shots. Just saying. And I send you out as sheep amidst the wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts This is thousands of years ago. Blah, blah, blah. They will deliver you over to courts and they will flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. And we better make sure it is for his sake and not because we are jerks and idiots and lawbreakers. And when I say lawbreakers, I mean breakers of the law of God, not the laws of man. But you will be turned over and dragged before them for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. That's good. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This next part's pretty unsettling. Brother will deliver brother over to death. It's not referring there about brother in the Christian sense, but your earthly human biological brother will betray you. He will be an unbeliever. He already said, don't trust men, beware of men. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father will betray his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. (laughs) What a glorious future we have. (laughs) And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Since I have been born, 1953, that hatred thing has been going like this. And then the 60s came. There was an appreciable increase in that slope. And in the 70s, and in the 80s, and the 90s, and the 2000s, and all of a sudden, boom! But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I am really kind of dizzied that there's nothing in there about... Don't sweat it, my children, because I'm going to take you all up into the clouds with me before all of that happens. I never looked 
at it like that. The end times, as we call them, seem to be a perennial fascination to believers and to what I'm going to call pseudo-believers. In other words, people who think they are believers and that everything's ducky between them and God. (laughs) Valerie, right before worship this morning, gave me a profound illustration of exactly that person at the Casting Crowns concert. I don't have time to go into it. I wish I did. When life is good, we talk about the end times. Things like what I just talked about from the Gospel of Matthew. We talk about the end times with respect. With reverence, even. But it always seems to be in terms of the the what-ifs and the when-do-you-thinks. But I'm not convinced we ever really talk about them as if they are a present reality to us. I think the Lord's taking care of that for us. Let me continue on this theme for a bit with the words of Revelation from the book of Revelation. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. Wait, no. No, no. (laughs) Well, I'm being taken before the governors and the magistrates. Poof, you're going to poof me up into heaven, right? Hmm. If anyone is to be slain, surely you'll step in there, Lord, with the sword. With the sword, he must be slain. Here is a call for, again, the endurance and faith of the saints. Well, John, who was the one writing the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos, because he was so esteemed in his culture and society, he was there abandoned as a prisoner to live out his life in isolation. He writes about a beast that rises up which performs great signs and wonders, and he goes on to talk about what else, at this point in Revelation in chapter 13, what else the beast does? He says, also the beast causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, the reason I start out like this is because I just wonder, in light of my previous comments, if we ever truly think in terms of there being, honest to goodness, a present reality to all the weirdness and terror of revelation according to revelation. A present reality, meaning we are living in it. Just at the beginning. But there has been a palpable change in our culture and in the world. In the last six years. Now, take somebody in the know about our heritage. And I mean about about our American heritage, about our history. Take somebody who is in the know about how our national character was formed. 
about all the things that influenced our national character. Take someone who knows how our particular form of securing peace and prosperity took place and take place, takes place and what were our national fears that forged the platform of our core beliefs, the core beliefs that informed our community standards. And if you take an individual like that, they would be aghast. They would be angry. They might even be up in arms. As happened in April of 1775. In this state, you're saying, okay, uh, you've been reading history a long time and everything else. It, it was in Massachusetts. Duh. We were part of Massachusetts, just to state the obvious. So I can say it happened in this state. On the other hand now, forget the individual for a moment who understands and knows our heritage Take someone now who is just sort of dropped into our country tomorrow from outer space. You're dating yourselves if you're laughing. The rest of you are going, uh, I don't remember that Star Wars character. Maybe it's Lord of the Rings. Uh. You take that individual who comes from outer space and is oblivious to where our nation and the world has been, so all they know of our country being dropped into it tomorrow is what they are observing on that particular day. There really wouldn't be much to give one pause. The alien beginning, so to speak, with this blank slate, understanding nothing, of the people's past that he's observing would think, oh, okay, so I, I get it. This is the way you do things. This is what they eat. This is what they do for work. And this is how they regulate their communities. This is going to be an easy report back to HQ on planet Orc. Nothing to see down here. Shazbot. Nanu, nanu. Wait, you're saying that's Mr. Spock. Live long and prosper. No, I had the thumb out. That was Mork from Mork. Check it out. <laughs> so if one is looking to change an entire system of life, looking to transform a nation, the best shot is to begin from the ground up with a blank slate, so to speak, which means the eliminating of the culture's knowledge of their heritage, of their past. Enter modern education in the United States of America. This is not my opinion. This is well-documented, researchable. Find it. Is my pick up? My pick is not up. This is John Dewey. Many of you know. The older people here know what the Dewey Decimal System is or was. John Dewey was an atheist, an ardent atheist, 
and an ardent humanist. A humanist is one who believes there, there is no God and man is at the apex of the pecking order. In other words, we are it. We are the highest thing there is in the universe. Well, or at least on planet Earth. He is called the father of modern education by everyone. Again, this is not some conservative slam. He is recognized as the father of modern education. Let it sink in. Quoting Dewey, education is a social process through which society can shape its purposes, its economy, and the direction it wants to move. One of the key axioms in changing one's world is to remove children from the influence of their parents. Quoting, into a sterile environment where the system has absolute control. This is John Dewey and provides an opportunity to govern American society and prepare a workforce for the express needs of industrialization. In other words, one of the keys of education, or at least the outcomes of education, will be to satisfy the needs of the socialized country, which at the time he was writing was industry, meaning education is to produce worker bees to support the state. The father of modern education. Thinking on this, as I replied to somebody's, and I, I tried to find it, I couldn't find it, so I could get it verbatim. This is going to be pretty close, but not exact. I was replying to someone's Facebook post a couple of weeks ago in response to something about education or what have you, and I said, quoting myself, the architects of education have always had it as their goal for education that the classrooms would be, and these are their words, they would be the pulpits. The illusion is intentional. They would be the pulpits by which future Americans would be indoctrinated into their view. They have been patient yet persistent, and they have progressed in their goals. I continued saying, argue, fuss, disagree, but this is accurate. And now, educare. Does everybody even know what educare is and that it's in Waterville? Okay. Educare which was Hillary Clinton's brainchild and vision, has been successfully implemented right here in Waterville. Do you remember it takes a village to raise a child? That's what this is all about. Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us, Son of God and man. You are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your great name. Let's pause for some more worship before I proceed. The day when every knee will bow. Some will bow and will have bowed willingly 
rejoicingly, worshipfully before you. And every tongue will confess many of those have done so their lives in testimony and honor to you. But many more, many more, O God, will fall in reverence before you by the power of your voice. Having unwillingly fallen on their faces, compelled now in the presence of you in the judgment, standing naked and bare without the garments of salvation which you so graciously provided for all who would receive them, even the righteousness of our Savior and Lord. Dear God, give us ears to hear. Amen. Have a seat. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what Solomon said. He was a pretty wise guy. No, he was a wise guy. I mean, he was a wise guy. The book of Judges is showing us how our place right now, today, 2014, has come to take root. And it's not just for the sake of more useless information. It is specifically so that we can learn from our forefathers' mistakes, so that we can learn from their sins, and we can hopefully correct them in our own lives and in our own nation. But yawn. Grab some more Doritos and surf the channels for mind-numbing entertainment. Remember what I said. If one is looking to transform a nation, it means eliminating one's knowledge of the past. Is modern education succeeding in their goals? You tell me. can't help but laugh. And then we should cry. Jimmy uh, Kimmel does this every now and then on different subjects. He did it uh, a year ago or so after the presidential uh, debate between Obama. Uh, no, this one debate. He did, I think, he did the State of the Union. Anyway, goes out and asks people, you know, did they watch the State of the Union last night when the State of the Union hadn't even aired? And, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, oh, it was great. You know, it was just like this. What grade were you in when you didn't learn anything about history? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, <clears throat> one video is worth a million words, perhaps. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and it is an important question, and it is a serious question. So I want you to put on <laughs> your thinking cap. <laughs> okay, Dr. Emmett Brown, Back to the Future. You know what this means. This thing doesn't work at all. <laughs> anyway, sorry. It's just uh, one of my favorite movies. Anyway, no, <laughs> I shouldn't do that. I really do have a very serious question for you. In 2016, for those of you who are dozing, that's, you know, a little ways down the road yet. A lot of people, Democrat, Republican, and Independent, 
are holding out for major changes in the course of our country through changes in Washington. So, here's the question. What would you do, and you, I mean you personally, individually, think about only yourself right now. What would you do with a cultural reprieve beginning in 2016 for the eight years following? Don't answer to yourself until I explain what I mean by a cultural reprieve. All right, so here's what I mean. Everything changes politically, economically, judicially, and socially to be a reflection of the heart and mind of the God of the Bible. Unemployment rebounds. Welfare is revamped to provide for the legitimately poor. Disability is revamped to the legitimately disabled. Spying on citizens, I mean, data collection would be curtailed. Borders would be secured. Immigration would be solved fairly. And elections would be fraud-free. The Affordable Air, Air, yeah, the Affordable Air Act, that was prophetic. Because there is nothing of substance there that's positive. It would be abolished. True freedom of religion and true freedom of speech would again be the hallmarks of what America once was. The right to bear arms would not be infringed. The Constitution would actually be read and understood and applied. Law-abiding citizens would not have to fear the governing authorities for doing what is right. Governing authorities would fear the consequences of doing wrong. Moral perversions, which were understood as such at the beginning of our nation's founding, would be shoved back into the closet. And the Church of Christ would actually know and teach and live the Bible. Abortion would be outlawed. Homosexual marriage would be nullified, the IRS dismantled, and no-fault divorce put in the dumpster. Parental authority restored, and schools would actually teach age-appropriate academics, leaving socialization and indoctrination of children to the parents. Now, if this were to come about, which obviously would require an act of God. Here's the question. What would you do? What would you do with such a cultural reprieve that would last the following eight years? The answer to this is the key to revivals. And I'm talking about spiritual and national revival. I am talking about socioeconomic revival. I am talking about liberty and justice for all kinds of revival.
So let me phrase this a bit differently so you don't miss this absolutely vital question. How would a change in our country's path to the opposite direction from where we are going, here it is, how would it improve, heighten, or enhance your personal ministry, your personal evangelism. That means telling people about God, God's truth, God's word, and above all about Jesus Christ. How would a cultural reprieve enhance your carrying out, another way of saying it, the Great Commission? which Jesus gave us just before he went back to heaven. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have given you. Would you expel a huge sigh of relief? Would you enjoy the security of the prospects of honest retirement strategies? That would all be part and parcel of it. Would you retire early or at least plan to? Would you increase your debt load with fun upgrades and additions to elevate your lifestyle since the economy would be genuinely stronger and secure? Be honest with yourself. I have had to be honest with myself. This has been a tough one. This has been plaguing me for months. Would you pray more or less? Would you give more of your time and your wealth to the building of kingdom purposes? Would you be more outspoken for the Lord's values, the Lord's precepts, taking advantage of the new liberties of freedom of speech and freedom of religion in this time of reprieve? Would you become more kingdom-minded? Where lost are saved, find their way at the sound of his great name. Where all condemned feel no shame, At the sound of his great name, where every fear has no place, at the sound of his great name, where the enemy has to leave, at the sound of his great name. What would you do with such a cultural reprieve over the next eight years? And here it is. You see, if a cultural overhaul of our nation to a society that more closely approximates a world that reflects the very heart and the mind of God, but the lifestyle of the followers of Jesus do not, here it is. Why in heaven's name should God intervene on our behalf? It's a huge question, and that is a huge caveat. You see, if we who know better do not 
also have a revival in our worship of our Lord. We will be exactly like the people of God we have been studying in the book of Judges. Following their obscene pattern where God's blessing followed by our sinning, then God disciplines, we repent to escape the discipline, and then God blesses once again, and then there we are clinging to our sin yet again, and the cycle just continues. Judges chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Jephthah judged Israel six years And then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city in Gilead. After him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He gave in marriage outside his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. And then Ibzan died, and he was buried at Bethlehem. And after him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. And then Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Aijalon in the land of Zebulun. And after him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, died and was buried at Pirathon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Dramatic pause. Joe, you go next door and tell them all that I'm going to be another hour not to worry about it, okay? Security, would you go with him? (laughs) No, I've given you plenty to think about. I'm telling you, it just, this thought came to me about, okay, You've been praying about so many things politically and about this nation, and rightly so, and about the leadership and about all of it. And this country is not a country that I recognize anymore and the country for which I put on a uniform for and was willing to die for. No longer. No longer. That's just me. But then I had to ask myself, so what if God miraculously answered yours and so many other people's prayers for this next sequence of time? What would you change, Cripe? How would you become sold out for the Lord? And I went, gee, because honestly, my thoughts continually run to, my stomach will be healed if that happens, Lord, because it's in knots constantly today. I will just feel better. I will be a happier person. I'll feel like I at least know what to do concerning this theoretical thing called retirement. 
I'll be able to rely on court cases actually being judged righteously, and so that makes other people happy, which makes me happy, and all that sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there realizing, but none of it in the long run, in the grand scheme of things, has much to do with the Great Commission. And I went, I get it. I get it. I don't want to get it, but I get it. So think about that. Because that will be, I am convinced. Remember, judgment begins with the household of God. If the church of Jesus Christ, if Christians don't get their act together now, I don't care what has gone on to date in the government. As we have seen, it no longer seems to matter. It doesn't affect the outcome of what happens in our representatives, in our congressmen, in our senators, in our highest leadership of the land. Nothing matters anymore. And I believe intently that is divinely, spiritually orchestrated and imposed to get the church back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't, forget the future. Forget the future. More of the same and worse. Everything that I read in Matthew 25 from the words of the Master himself. Hallelujah. Let me have you stand. But you see, everything, everything seems to be qualified in my head. I want to say everything changes when you come to Christ. Well, only if you let him change you. You can recite John 3.16 till you're blue in the face. But if Jesus isn't Lord, you will be one of those to whom the Lord will say, Depart from me, you doers of evil. I never knew you. Father in heaven, if there is any truth in my words this morning, Father, take an air hammer and drive them deep into our souls, Lord. And bring repentance to us personally, individually. And not just to escape the heat, O oh God, but because we have offended you, our holy, awesome, gracious, loving Savior, King, and Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.